and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and yes, even joy. Underlying every conversation is the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible to not just survive the loss of a child, but to live well while we're waiting to see them again in heaven one day. You can learn more about our ministry and the free bereaved parent retreats we host by visiting our website at www.whilewe'rewaiting.org. Welcome to episode number 131. I'm pleased today to introduce you to my friends, Gary and Laura House. They joined me to share the story of their son, Nathan, a remarkable young man with a gift for fixing things, a zest for adventure, and an entrepreneurial spirit. Nathan began to struggle with depression after puberty and ultimately took his own life at the age of 25. The Houses are the founders of a nonprofit organization called Our Hearts, Our Home, which offers several avenues of support for bereaved parents. They are also the editors of a new book called Until Then, Stories of Loss and Hope that you'll hear more about in our chat today. I believe you'll be encouraged by our conversation. Hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jill. Thanks so much for having us. Great to be here. Good. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started by giving you an opportunity to tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves. Tell us where you're from and what life is like for you there. Well, I'll start. Uh, I uh, began my career after school as a pastor and never really intended on uh, pastoring that long. I always wanted to teach. And so after a few years pastoring churches, I uh, continued my education and uh, became a college professor, teaching primarily at the graduate school and seminary level, training pastors. And so until, um, oh, two or three years after we lost Nathan, that's what I did. And uh, then we moved a little bit different direction, which we'll talk about later. But uh, we live uh, now in Virginia, Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, we're originally from Indiana and spent several years there, but we've lived in uh, six or seven different states. And for quite a few years now, we've been in Lynchburg, where our uh, other two children live. And uh, we, uh, we enjoy it here, but we primarily enjoy being with uh, Ryan and Megan. Sure. So I way back when, when I went to college, <laughs> um, I was a, became a registered nurse. And so that's what I did. Then after we had children, I stayed home and I was a homeschooling mom which was just one of the greatest joys of my life. And then I started working for the Institute for Excellence in Writing, and I still continue to work for them as our director of marketing. And like Gary said, we love spending time with our kids and with our extended family, and we both love the beach. That was something you asked about being our hobby. Yeah, that was yes. ironically one of Nathan's favorite places too. Our whole family yes. love the beach. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite places too. So we're here to talk about Nathan. I'd love for you guys to help us get to know him a little bit. Well, Nathan was a real joy to raise. He was just one of those uh, perfect children. Uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> Not um, He was uh, uh, just kind of the, the life of the party. Uh, pretty easygoing, relaxed, very um, engineering-minded. Uh, we remember... Oftentimes, one of our favorite stories when uh, all three kids were young and uh, we took them someplace where there was a merry-go-round and Ryan and Megan 
jumped on the merry-go-round and got on a horse, you know, without hesitation. But Nathan, um, rather than jumping on the horse, he got down on the ground and looked underneath it. And we could tell he was trying. He's probably just two or three years old trying to figure out what made it turn. Sure. And uh, and we he took everything apart, you know, that he could find in the house and most of the time could put it back together, but not always. Um, he also was very entrepreneurial. I remember once um, I was raking leaves in our backyard and he was helping me. He was probably four years old and he had one of those little kids rakes. And um, Megan yelled out the back door that um, Nathan, mom, it needs some help in here and she's paying. And he looked up at me and he said, dad, are you paying me to do this? And I said, no. And he dropped his rake and ran in the house. <laughs> And so he put all of that together uh, later on in life to start his own business. Sure. He was one of the kindest people we've ever known. Just very tenderhearted. Um, if he saw somebody in need, he was there, you know, from the time he was a little kid. He um, had his pilot's license before he had his driver's license. So he loved to fly. And he his goal was to be a missionary pilot when he was a teenager. That's what he wanted to do. So mm-hmm. love to fly. He started having a lot of allergy issues and our whole family had a lot of allergies in Indiana. And But Nathan's got very, very severe. Looking back now, we know that it wasn't just allergies. We can see that's where depression set in. But at that time, we had no idea. So his allergies got very severe, a lot of headaches, and he couldn't fly anymore without a whole lot of discomfort. So he stopped flying. And he already had enjoyed computers, but then he just delved completely into computers. And he was one of those people that if you want to learn something, you just teach yourself and you do it. So he would, uh, one of my things that's fun to remember is he would ask me to pick things up from the library. Well, the first time I did it, there was not a limit on books. And so the first time he asked me, hey, mom, would you stop by a library? You know, when you go up to Fort Wayne, it was an hour away, a uh, big library. Well, I had to take uh, three or four trips from the library to the car. There were so many books. So it kind of became wow. a joke when he'd say, we just stop the library. It was like, okay, do we need the wheelbarrow or are we just talking <laughs> 10 books? So, sure. But he taught himself, you know, all different computer languages. I don't even C++. I don't know all those things. Gary and I are not techie at all, but just developed an incredible love for programming and became part of first robotics team there in uh, Indiana, uh, Team 1501, and he was their programmer of the robot and then also a driver. So his love became computers and programming and later became an electrical engineer. So uh, Gary mentioned when he was two or three years old, definitely continued through his life. And he, like so many young boys, played baseball and basketball and uh, was a halfway decent athlete, came natural for him. Uh, He had to give that up too when he became weak with allergies. And and we look back and wonder, you know, what caused the allergies, what caused the health issues. It may have most likely uh, involved a lot of uh, depression and maybe chemical imbalance as well. But he uh, he gave his life to Jesus when he was a boy. And not only did he read a lot of those computer and engineering books uh, when he was young, but he also read a lot of pretty deep Christian books as well, including C.S. Lewis. He loved him when he was you know, just 10 and 12 years old. And so he he knew, he knew the Lord as a child. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a remarkably well-rounded young man. He had a lot of skills and a lot of abilities. Very impressive. 
It's a sweet one. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned the allergies. Over time, it sounds like that became more and more of an issue. Talk about that. Talk about uh, the change that you began to see with Nathan. Well, when you hit puberty, definitely his personality became more melancholy. But the problem with that is most teenage boys, when they hit puberty, <laughs> there's a lot of changes. And Absolutely. we actually brought it up to a couple of friends and one family member. And they just said, oh, ours are exactly the same. You know, they grow out of that. Um, he was still the same Nathan, but you could just see that there was, um, I think melancholy is kind of a good word. So we just kind of assumed it was, you know, just hormones going through your teenage years. You know, we see now and we also Nathan left journals so we can see from his journals that he also at the end of his life, the last few years, recognized that at puberty there was a that is where depression began. Mm-hmm. But it didn't look depression. you know, it just. It just didn't um, till the last few years of his life. So again, looking back now, we can see that when he was a senior in high school, um, the allergies were so severe in Indiana that we decided to move. And that's how we got down here to Virginia. So we did everything we could do to alleviate all the symptoms he was having. And when we moved here, he was doing better with allergies for sure. It definitely was a great move. He then went to college and in college, he studied electrical engineering, and we've discovered a kind of a whole life there at school that we didn't know existed. We knew he enjoyed school, and but we really weren't part of that world because he's an adult and he's in college. But after he went to heaven, we got to know a lot of his friends uh, from school. And, and faculty. And faculty, yeah. And he started a robotics club. He was the co-founder of that. And that was a, a big part of his world down there. And it's still going strong. And they do national competitions and you know, all these things that Nathan dreamed of uh, for them. And turns out he was somebody, he, when he was a senior particularly, he was doing workshops for the students in the robotics club. They told us that he would always, where a lot of seniors just kind of want to go be by themselves, everybody knew that Nathan was going to be in this one spot. And if you needed help with your homework, you could go ask him because he intentionally was kind of there. Again, that was his tender heart, loving to help people. So um, he he enjoyed those years. Well, he loved to mentor other students and uh, developed a reputation for that. And part of that then flowed into a business that he started and he named it Foxytronics. And I never understood all of it because I'm not techie and engineering like he was. But uh-huh. uh, what it was was selling electronic parts online for hobbyists, for example, even schools, not just individuals, but schools and businesses that maybe wanted to buy parts uh, to build robots um, and, and many others, too. We um, we let him have we had a walkout basement in our house and we let him have that whole uh, walkout basement uh, as his office and warehouse. And it was full of uh, very organized parts and little bins and so forth. And and so he would come home from classes and jump right into that for hours and fill orders that had come in. And he had, uh, what, a couple thousand orders just while he was, you know, finishing up college. And it became even international. He had, you know, companies from around the world that were contacting him. They thought he was a major company himself. And sometimes he would get a phone call from a CEO of a company telling Nathan that they saw a tutorial. He put a lot of tutorials online and they would see that tutorial. And um, he had a great sense of humor. And so he, on his website, he had a picture of a giant building for Foxytronics. And then underneath it, it said, 
someday this could be it. But right now it's not. I'm in my parents' basement. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, he was just a little teeny weeny company, sure. but it was, yeah. it was still yeah. amazing. We could hear him downstairs. He, he developed a scanning system. He didn't like the systems that were already done. So he just decided to build his own. Sure. So he programming. And so you could hear him down there with his inventory. You know, you could hear beeping as he scanned the products before wow. he put them in the box. Yeah. And uh, he, he created his own um, robotics kits also. So you could actually buy this little robot for like $30 or something. His yeah. prices were pretty low yeah. because again, yeah. he wanted, it was people like him that had been hobbyists and he called them robot enthusiasts. Yes. Um, he sold this stuff too. So. Yeah. But people are always surprised when they contact him and find out he was just a college student. Yeah. <laughs> sure. the company. But, uh, uh-huh. but all this time that he was doing his business and in college, he, was very close to our family. Uh, we knew him well. Uh, he stayed very close to Ryan and Megan. Uh, Nathan and Ryan exercised um, at the gym two, three times a week. They watched movies together. Megan was kind of a confidant. They had a very close relationship. And, uh, and he really loved his family. As I look back, I recognize that uh, I feel like I knew him better when he was a child before puberty afterwards when he changed a lot and struggled a lot with his depression um, it was he became kind of a different person and I think a lot of people that experience that can identify with it so um, I knew him well but he still there was still uh, something missing that mm-hmm. in his teenage years and early adult years that was there before but but we enjoyed family time together he um, he was the one that oftentimes suggested that we uh, have uh, family nights or movies or game nights where we invite friends over uh, trips. He loved the beach. And, um, and we did talk with him uh, on a frequent basis, especially his last uh, three years about his depression, because I think about three years before uh, he left, he, he came to us and shared that he was clinically depressed and shared some of his struggles but he just believed uh, completely that it was stress from school. He would take 18, 20 hours a uh, semester of engineering classes and, um, and work hard. And uh, he just felt that it was from school and business because he had a heavy load on both and that it would get better once he got out of school. And um, he started seeing a counselor and that was helpful. But then he abruptly quit and uh, wanted to continue on later. And it was quite a bit later that he continued. But we see now in his journals uh, the last few years that he worked very hard to try to fix a depression that he was dealing with, pr- much harder than we ever knew at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, we know that when you struggle with depression, it, it's in the brain and it's not something that you can measure. It's not something that you can see. And so and especially when you're dealing with that yourself. And he, he was an engineer, so he fixed things. He was a problem solver. And sure. so we know he worked really hard to try to solve the problem. But, but when it's in the brain, it's just very difficult. Well, you know, you use your brain when you have other illnesses. You're using your brain to make decisions and medical decisions. You're thinking of options. But when the problem is the brain, like Gary's saying, you know, you think you're thinking logically and correctly, mm-hmm. but you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did the, the depression just continue to worsen? What, what was the course of, the, of his yeah. illness? Well, he graduated from college. And after he graduated, he went back to the same counselor and started doing some counseling again. But um, by that point, 
the depression was very deep. And again, we did not recognize it being very deep at that point. But looking at after the fact, we could see that at that point, he was not thinking logically. And, you know, perception is reality. That's a new, I have a new idea on that now, because for Nathan, he perceived things that were absolutely not the case. But he thought they were because his brain was, you know, telling him messages that were not true. Um, He ended up liquidating his business and bought a, an SUV. And one of his dreams was to travel the country. So he traveled. We went with him to one coast as a family to see him off. And he was very excited. Um, It was on his 25th birthday and we headed across the country and he worked remotely for our company doing programming while he traveled. And then he also headed overseas a few months later. That was another dream he wanted to fulfill. And again, all this time, we really thought that he was, you know, doing better, that things were going to be okay. But now we realize that was not the case at all. And um, while he was overseas, actually, he ended up taking us live and to meet Jesus. So he basically decided he couldn't live this way anymore because the pain was too severe and couldn't be here. He wanted to be here, but he decided that there was no way he could stay. Right. Right. So I know you had so many questions in the aftermath of Nathan's home going. And in the Until Then book, you describe yourself as detectives investigating every lead. What conclusions did you come to? We did spend hours (laughs) every night after work. um, Just had the feeling that if I could just get into that one school account, that email account, then I'd have the answer. I'd understand why this happened. Yeah. Well, then we'd finally get into that. No, it wasn't there. Well, if we could just get into his iPhone, you know, and then we'd have the answers and, and we'd understand why, why, you know, when you're so close to your family, when you're so loved, all these things, why? Well, we got into his phone and that didn't help either. So on and on his business accounts, you know, there were so many places to look and every rock we turned over was just another dead end, not explaining the why. And I think this is something that every parent goes through for sure. No matter how their child leaves, um, how they die, um, you're wondering why. Um, the what ifs and the should haves uh, come to your mind and whether it was your fault as a parent, was there anything you could have done differently? No matter what the cause of death, uh, I think all parents go through that. He went through every piece of paper, every filing cabinet, every school note, you know, looking for his little Hen scratches in the corner, you know. Yes. And yeah. but you ask, what did we conclude? Well, what we concluded was, we're not going to know. We right. don't know this happened. You know, the Lord heals some people on earth, and other people He doesn't, and we don't know why. I mean, we prayed for Nathan. We loved Nathan. You know, all we asked the Lord to heal him so many times when we knew he was struggling with depression. And the allergies, so many things, just as parents do, um, that know Jesus. And we came to the conclusion that we either trust God because he's God or we don't. What's it going to be? You know, are we going to be okay with not knowing why? Because we're not going to know. Right. And we all hear the stories about um, people who at the last minute, uh, someone came along at the last minute. And uh, if it was a suicide situation, talked them into living and then they have a testimony and that's difficult to hear when you lose a child to suicide but the part of trust is being able to say 
God, you could have stopped this, but you allowed it to happen. And we don't understand your purposes in this, but we just give it to you and trust you. The minute that I knew Nathan was not on earth anymore, he had died. That was my prayer is Jesus help me trust you. And that has, you know, for almost seven years, there's when there's moments of still moments of deep grief. Um, We're not mourning anymore like you do at the beginning when you're a newly grieved parent, but there will always be moments of grief. And, you know, that's still my prayer. And it's my prayer for other parents is find a way to truly trust Jesus. Yeah. And one of the thoughts that we had, I remember during this time was that um, as much as we love Nathan, his parents, God loved him even more. God created him. Yes. And uh, and so when we we started thinking in those terms, it helped a lot, too, even though we didn't know the why that God knew all along. I mean, he, he created him. He loved him beyond our comprehension. And uh, again, all we can do is um, is trust the one that created him, loved him. And he chose us to be Nathan's parents. Yes. So, I mean, people have said to me, you mean it's comforting to you that, you know, you know that God knew what was going on? Yeah, it is. He chose us to be his parents. If we were totally messing it up, he could have done something different. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know why he didn't intervene and do something different. I don't know. Maybe he did intervene many, many times. I'm sure he did that we don't know about. But the bottom line is that we have decided we're going to trust Jesus. After all, he is God and he loves us that way, too. And each person listening to your podcast today, he loves them that way, too. He That's created right. them. And someday we'll know the answers. We just have to be patient. Uh, may not matter then, but uh, <laughs> it definitely does now. Yeah, that's right. I think just as parents, we want to know. We want to know answers. We want to understand. And we have to reach a point where we can rest in, like you said, trusting God. He is sovereign. And that's the only way we can get through this is by trusting Him for sure. Do you feel like there are issues that parents who lose children to suicide deal with that complicate the grief journey? You just mentioned those unanswered questions. Are there other issues that you feel are kind of specific to the loss of a child to suicide? Yeah, we both could talk all day on this one. (laughs) Definitely, yes. You know, if Nathan had died pretty much any other way, people respond one way, mm-hmm. but then when you know somebody dies by suicide, there's a completely different response most of the time from people because all of a sudden their mind is whirling. Like, why would someone do that? There must've been something horribly wrong with their family. Boy, those parents must've messed up. So, you know, when you're talking to parents who lost a child by suicide, everyone around them, basically it feels like judgment. You know, you're being judged if, if he died in a, wreck while he was heading overseas, there wouldn't have been any question. But other people want to know why when, you know, that's people said that to us. Well, why? Why did he do that? And, you know, it's, it's on us to try to educate other people to understand illness in the brain. You know, that's why. Um, So yes, there's definitely uh, a difficulty for parents that lose a child to suicide. Um, We have a grief share group, 13 weeks long, um, next year being one in the spring, one in the fall, and just for parents who've lost children by suicide. And and we also have a monthly support group also. 
And it's been so helpful to people because of what we're talking about here, because everyone in that room understands that there is a, a stigma. There are a lot of things that people aren't saying, but you know, they're thinking. Mm-hmm. So to those who are listening that know someone who died by suicide, I'm excited you're listening and can educate yourself and understand that it's not that that person wanted to go take their life. That's not a normal thing. We all have a self-preservation thing put in by God. That's not normal. There's something wrong if someone takes their life. And so don't pass judgment. You know, there's an illness there. There's something wrong. That's not normal. But yes, there's definitely another level. There's also a level of trauma. Uh, There's always trauma and there's trauma and other types of death as well. Oftentimes in, you know, we're, we're thankful that Nathan was overseas in many ways uh, that we didn't find him. Most parents or a sibling find the person in the bedroom or something. And yes. that is extremely traumatic. And, um, and trauma counseling, you know, is, uh, is important in those cases. But uh, we also see that if a child dies, say, by, by an illness, people are comfortable asking you about it. But if they know, if they've heard that they died by suicide, there's an isolation involved there with the parents because people don't want to come up and bring it up and talk about it. And it's almost even the parents oftentimes, because of the stigma, feel that, you know, we just kind of have to become anonymous because we don't want to talk about this either. And yet, as Laura said, it's so important to realize that this this is an illness as well. And it's different, but it is an illness. And we saw very clearly with Nathan how depression is very much an illness just like anything else and sometimes someone has an illness and it can be treated and they recover and sometimes they can't you know we sometimes we look back and say well what if when you hit puberty we knew what was going on and we could have intervened at that moment when there's a chemical imbalance and you know he could have been on medication and done counseling when he was 13 um that kind of thing Well, we know so many parents that did just that. And for 10 years, 20 years, you know, they, their children were on medications and doing counseling, but that illness was still present and it was terminal for them. Yes. And I, I can relate to that just as a parent who was diagnosed with a, with a terminal illness. You know, we did all the treatments. We did everything that was available for Hannah with her cancer. And it was terminal, just like in Nathan's case, the, the mental illness, the depression was terminal. But yeah, I understand that, that as parents who have lost a child to suicide, you do carry that extra burden of isolation and, and judgment from others. And um, yeah, I appreciate you, you talking about that. One more thing I want to add on that is there's also a lot of, a lot of parents feel guilt yeah. um, in a different way. So if they had another illness or if there was an accident, you kind of realize there's nothing we could have done. Right. But when a child by suicide, parents think, oh, they feel so guilty. Like what should we have done different? And yet now I realize, why do I think that's any different? I couldn't have controlled the accident. Why do I think I could have controlled this? I really couldn't have. So guilt is also something that parents who've lost a child of suicide need to really, really work through um, on a spiritual level too. One thing that was asked by someone close to us is at the moments when Nathan was going through this or going through that, did you guys do everything you knew to do? Yes, absolutely. And if we had known something else, we have done it. 
Absolutely. We would have sure. done anything. And so I think for parents to recognize, you know, when what the information I had at that time, I was doing the very best I could. God chose us to be his parents and we were doing the very best we could. And we need to leave all of this now to, okay, Jesus, I don't understand, but I trust you. I trust you. Yes. That's the bottom line. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what have you learned about God and about his character through this experience? Well, a lot. We, you know, as Christians always tried really hard to know God and develop an intimate personal relationship with him to understand um, our purpose in life and uh, how this is just uh, temporal here. And, you know, that our our real place is going to be uh, in eternity with with Jesus and uh, forever and ever. The loss of Nathan um, is something that I think even took us to a different level because the Bible has a very prominent theme of suffering and something happens to you when you suffer with just indescribable pain and heartache, uh, something at the level of losing a child that can't happen in any other way. And it's not that we, we want that. I don't want to lose any of our other children, and I don't wish the loss of children on any other parent. But when you do suffer and struggle with these kinds of questions that we've talked about, if if you look at the Lord and do the Lord, unfortunately, a lot of people become bitter and reject God and develop a wrong concept of God. But if you give it to the Lord and really allow God to do what he wants to in your life through your suffering, you learn a lot more about his character that I think, you know, even though we tried before, we didn't see. We develop a level of intimacy we didn't have before. And uh, maybe more than anything, we understand the concept of and the purpose of suffering. Even though we knew the Bible talked about it, uh, we really see the benefits of it. As someone in one of our groups, uh, support groups, said last year, um, he lost a son. And uh, somebody said who had also lost a child said to him, uh, this may be difficult for you to hear, but you're going to be a better person for this. And again, that's what, what suffering does if we let, let God deal with us in, in his own way. Another thing about that you ask about the character of God, we've talked a lot about knowing he loves us, but I have never in my whole life known God's love like I do now. Mm. You know, it's just say, oh, God loves you, but Jill, you and you and we know he loves us yes. and I think experience suffering the intimacy like Gary mentioned but it also leads you to understand recognize and on a daily basis know how much we are loved by the one who created us you know, it's a whole different understanding when I read Psalm 139 now through these lenses it's a completely different chapter than it ever has been in my life so I would encourage you if you've lost someone Go read Psalm 139 and read it through the lens of this is how God sees me. And, you know, this is how God uh, loves Nathan and all of our children as well. So we also have a, a new understanding of earthly life in heaven. And we had always enjoyed reading about heaven and contemplating about eternal life. And, of course, we'd had grandparents and even my brother passed away 25, 26 years ago. And so I thought a lot about heaven then, 
but when you lose a child, it's, you know, uh, a very special part of you is in heaven already. And so, um, you know, we, that's where our heart is. Our hearts are in heaven at home. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we, we think that way a lot. Uh, now we, we just can't wait to see Nathan and just spend a lot of time you know, just dreaming about that moment when we go to heaven and see him again. One other thing on God's character, uh, I had always said, oh, God is faithful. Well, after Nathan died, it made me investigate, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> you know, I have a, a sign on my wall, God is faithful. I love, great is thy faithful. It's one of my favorite hymns. Boy, did I delve into that. What does that really mean? Well, God is faithful means a lot of things, but through your grace, he's right there. He doesn't change. So it's not like one day, oh, I'm going to be with you the next day. I'm not. No, he is always there. Um, and I also recognize that you know, people will say, hang on to Jesus. Well, I was too weak to hang on. Mm. There was nothing in me that even hang on. Right, right. And yet I have to because he's holding on to me and he's not going to let go. So if we talk character of God, there are so many things that we've all said our whole lives. We've sung the songs. We've, you know, said them out loud. But there's a whole different understanding and depth. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So as we're recording this episode, it's been a little over six years, I think you said. Almost seven seven years. Almost seven years since Nathan went to heaven. But think back, if you can, to those very early days of your grief. What advice would you give to a newly bereaved parent, maybe in particular somebody that has lost a child to suicide? The first thing I would say is um, cry out to the Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. He knows your heart. He wants to comfort you. So as we've already said several times today, find a way to truly trust him. So cry out to him. If you can't pray, I couldn't even pray because I didn't have anything to say. I knew he already knew. And so honestly, that's what I said. I would just say, you know, <laughs> that was my prayer. And he knew my heart. But I really wanted to speak more words than that. So I ended up going to the Psalms and the Psalms of Lament that David writes are exactly how we felt after losing Nathan. And so I encourage you to go to the Psalms of Lament and read them out loud. It's extremely helpful. Yes. And it's also very important to spend time with people that are good listeners. Uh, Find someone immediately that you can talk to. When you lose a child, contrary to the stigma uh, that others have, you you need to talk about that child. We were surprised to find that people avoided us, even good friends avoided us, because we found later that they thought that if they asked how we were doing or brought it up, that it would remind us of what happened, as if we were going to forget. Right. And uh, But you need to talk about it. So uh, find somebody that's a good listener, not someone that's going to give you advice or tell you, you know, how to deal with it, but just sits there quietly, as Job's friends did, at least for a while. Um, also spend time with other bereaved parents. This was very helpful. We, we got involved pretty quickly in grief share and went through it about three times. We also uh, joined a suicide support group and it was just miraculous just being there with those people, uh, once a week in the evening where we, we just listen to them talk and we would share, uh, there's something therapeutic about talking about our struggle and also recognizing that we are not alone in this. When you lose a child, you feel like you're the only one that's ever lost a child. But when you're in these groups of others, um, very quickly you look around and see these people are hurting and grieving as much 
as we are, and uh, we're in this together, and and uh, we need that support. Yeah, grief share was very helpful to us, and grief share just in general for loss is wonderful. Um, there are several grief share groups out there um, that are just for child loss, and some online. And then we do a grief share, as I mentioned earlier, for suicide loss, so that's helpful too. But spending time with your grief parents, I, I know they always tell you that you're going to develop new friendships that end up being deeper. And that's exactly what mm-hmm. happens. You just walk in the room and you don't even have to explain yourself because you know they know. And so there's an immediate kinship there. We feel like family. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, while we're waiting is based on that premise too, of just being together with other parents that that understand. And uh, so we know how important that is. You guys have started a ministry called Our Hearts, Our Home. Talk about that a little bit. What do you have to offer? Just just tell us where we can learn more. I, w- I would love for you to talk about Our Hearts, Our Home. Well, ourheartsourhome.org is where you can find it. Gary kind of alluded to the title earlier when he was talking. Our hearts are in our heavenly home. Um, yes. Part of our also because of Nathan. <laughs> but yeah. heaven is our, our home that we're looking forward to being at. And we do several things. And one thing would be um, online support groups. We do once a month. We do online book studies. And we have three coming up this next year that we're excited about. And um, we have another couple that are going to be doing this in the spring. Um, the first time we've had others lead some of our groups. So we're super excited about that. We realize we can't do it all. So we're excited to have others involved. Um, we do gatherings. Some are online and some are on the ground. While we're waiting to weekend retreats, which is life-changing everyone, we don't do weekends. We do one days. We also have um, some other options that we're really grateful for. Uh, One is a YouTube channel, and it does have some good information now, but we have a plan and a lot of footage that we're starting to get edited. And a lot of them, you and Brad have recorded some of those for us as well, just answers for grieving parents. And when they Google and are looking for help, we're hoping that they will find while we're waiting and our hearts are home through that YouTube channel. We also have a conference coming up in April, and it's the reason we're doing this conference, the way we're doing it, it's being recorded at the recording studio, actually, where I work in Oklahoma. But when Nathan died, Gary and I started frantically searching online for help. What do you do? How how do you even do this? So we started just Googling, looking for conferences, you know, looking for resources. And we found a few conferences, but they are people that don't know Jesus. And so the workshops are very new age, how to interpret signs, how to contact someone after they've died, all these things. And we were just so saddened to realize that people who love the Lord are desperate like we were searching and this is all they can find. Mm. And so we're very excited to have a conference that will be recorded. And so in the future, when desperate parents like we were do that searching this is going to pop up and it's going to point them to the water waiting ministry and the our hearts are home ministry. And ultimately it's going to point them to the only one who can really comfort us as we all know. Um, so we're very excited. That is in April and the information is online. Um, you and Brad are going to be there. Um, we have Donna Patsy Aiken who were our grief share leaders for those three sessions and they've lost all three of their boys in yes. different ways. 
directors and um, just very precious people. Mm -hmm. uh, Melanie Simone will be speaking, and she has a blog, The Life I Didn't Choose, that a lot of people follow. It's been a blessing to many. Um, Heidi St. John. Yeah, Heidi St. John will be speaking. And Craig and Tess Avon. Uh -huh. You know the song, The Sweetest Gift, everybody keeps posting yeah. for Christmas. Uh -huh. Piano guys, that's Craig Avon's song. He sings it with the piano guys. So he and his wife lost two unborn children. And so they're going to be also speaking and he'll be singing uh, a little bit for us and reading a little bit of, of worship or we can sing along with him. So we can, there'll be about 75 parents that can attend on the ground. That's the limitation of the studio. There's a lot of other activities for people on the ground that we'll be doing outside of those main sessions, but then anybody can join from anywhere in the world online. And so it'll be a private link. So just the people that have registered and it'll be very, very interactive. So yes. we're, we're excited. Laura has a blog that she's been writing for quite a while and um, that can be accessed or subscribed to on our website as well. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping we wanted to do this for a long time, but uh, we want to start our own podcast as well. Uh, and we're hoping to maybe do that by March. Yeah, so, so that would be a little bit different focus. The focus of the podcast is going to be kind of more on um, suffering and biblical truths about suffering. So we're excited for that. And then there's the book that we are yes. very grateful. It's finally done <laughs> and out there and available. 13 parents contributed to this. And you and Brad wrote a chapter about Hannah. We're really grateful for the feedback uh, to see that parents who've lost children can read the chapter. At the end of every chapter, there's a section that says, what would so-and-so, that author, say to a newly bereaved parent? So there are pages of what we would say, what you and Brad said, all the different authors. And a lot of people are really finding a lot of help from that. And then the third section of each chapter is scripture. And there's nothing more powerful than God's word, of course. So right. what scripture um, have carried that author through this journey? So 13 different short chapters, but with a lot of help and hope and um, I think comfort. So it's until then stories of loss and hope. And that is found on Amazon. Yes. And that book, the 13 chapters, everybody's story is different. And so whatever your particular type of loss is, there will be a parent story in there that you'll be able to relate to. And uh, so I, I think that's wonderful that it can reach so many people. Um, well, I will put links in the show notes to all of these different, um, your website. Um, I, I assume the link for the registering for the conference will be on your website eventually i don't think it's there yet is it it's there now it's oh there now. Yeah. awesome awesome as of last night yeah as of last night. <laughs> not sure it's working well i did i did register one yeah it went through but probably need to tweak it a bit but sure one of the things that i wanted to mention because it'll be a free download we do have a download right now for helping parents how to help a grieving parent in the holiday time so things to, to do for them, things that are appropriate to give, to say, that kind of thing. But at every single gathering event, anything we've done with our hearts at home, and I imagine you're going to say the exact same thing, parents always struggle with their church family. How can we help our pastor understand? Because yes. our church doesn't understand. 
So we have a document that is about 15 pages long at this point and being edited and designed to just be a free download. But the whole idea is that someone who is a grieving parent can just print this off or send a link to their pastor. And it starts with how can they kind of educate themselves a little bit about child loss, but then it quickly moves into what are the do's? What should you say? What should you not say? <laughs> um, what can the church do? What are practical things they can do? What are things they can do to remember that child or the parent realizes that? Um, how do you talk about suffering from the pulpit? How do you recognize that each week? So there's a, a lot of things in there that we're excited about to be able to um, have parents print and download. And then if you're listening today and you haven't lost someone, it'll be helpful for you to understand how can I minister to someone who's grieving. Mm -hmm. um, we also had several other parents uh, give us their thoughts on what to say, what to do, what was helpful. So it's a booklet that has um, six or seven other people's thoughts as well. So hopefully there'll be a lot of ideas there and it's just a free download at our hearts or home.org. That should be up within a couple of weeks. Wonderful. That's going to be so helpful. I know Gary is a, as a pastor yourself and then someone that taught in seminary. I know you're very familiar <laughs> with the role of a pastor and, and all the different, you know, the things that he has to deal with. Um, on a daily basis, but how important it is just to be educated, just to be aware of what bereaved parents in the congregation are going through. And so I'm sure your insight was very valuable in creating that document. And I'm excited to, um, <laughs> to see it when it comes out on the website. So, all right. So I'll put links to your website, to your YouTube channel, to Amazon to get the book. Um, all of these things, and hopefully some folks will take advantage of the opportunity to look those things up. And I'm excited about the conference in April. Looking forward to meeting a lot of bereaved parents there in person. And um, like you said, be able to share biblical truth for hurting hearts, um, because that's so important. As grieving parents, we're so vulnerable to false doctrine and I'm excited about this opportunity to have a conference that is very biblically focused. I appreciate you guys doing all the legwork to make that happen. Well, we're really excited and appreciative for, for you and Brad to do this with us. Yes. Well, thank you. And I know you guys have another obligation, so I need to let you go now. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up? just want to say one thing uh, to give some hope and encouragement to particularly parents who have recently lost children. Uh, one of the things that we didn't expect and we see still day to day and almost seven years out is that we miss Nathan more every day. Mm. And uh, that's probably going to continue. And uh, we still have times of grief. But one of the things that we discovered a while back is that we can have days of grief where we're ambushed, indescribable pain, even times of confusion. Uh, missing him daily, but at the same time, we can have hope and purpose. Yes. And it takes a while to get to the point where you feel hope and purpose once again. And a lot of times we feel early on, particularly, that it has to be either or. If we're really hurting, really struggling, it's never going to change, never going to get better. But you can, they, they both can. Uh, you can experience both at the same time and you can 
hurt and struggle and grieve and at the same time move forward and even have a new purpose in life yeah. and have hope in seeing them again. So um, just hopefully that from our experience, almost seven years at that will be an encouragement. It gets better, but it never goes away. Yeah. There does come where now when I look at pictures of Nathan and I think about him, it's just total joy. We mm-hmm. laugh. We look at pictures. It's, I can't wait to talk about it, to, to hear his voice, to see a video. Yes, there's still times of grief. There always will be because we're separated. And that yes. separation gets longer and longer. And we're looking forward to not being separated. <laughs> but there will be a time if you are early on that you realize that the sting is not what it was before. And you can look at those things and think of those memories with just incredible gratitude that you have for those years. Amen. I think that's a good word to close on. (laughs) A good word of encouragement. Thank you guys so much for joining me today and sharing Nathan's story. And like I said, I'm excited about our hearts, our home, and uh, what God has in store in the future. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please take just a moment to leave a rating or a review, and please feel free to share it with someone you know who might be helped by it. We're so grateful for all of you who come back and listen every week, and those of you who may be listening for the very first time. I hope God has used it to encourage you today and to help you live well while you're waiting.